एक मिनट रुक जाओ रेडी होने दो चलो ये कर लेते हैं अक्षय हाय दिस इज सौरभ एंड यू आर लिसनिंग टू द फाउंडर थीसिस पॉडकास्ट वी मीट सम ऑफ द मोस्ट सेलिब्रेटेड सार्ट ऑफ फाउंडर्स इन द कंट्री एंड वी वॉन्ट टू लर्न हाउ टू बिल्ड अनिकॉर्न so myself rishab i am uh, the co-founder and ceo of credgenics and which is primarily addressing the rising np issue uh, in the developing economies we've all heard of young mavericks like mark zuckerberg who were running companies worth millions of dollars while still in their 20s but what does it take to become such a successful young entrepreneur Akshay Dat is on a mission to learn this by talking to one such young gun, Rishab Goel. Rishab is the founder of Credgenics, which is in the vertical SaaS space. A vertical SaaS company is one that focuses on providing a software solution for a deep niche. And Credgenics has created the market for SaaS for loan collections. They help companies collect bad debts more effectively and directly impact the bottom line of banks, NBFCs, fintechs and collection agencies. Listen to this fascinating journey of how Rishabh built up a company worth more than $100 million in just two years. Uh, so in iit uh, like you obviously uh, have lot of uh, different pictures in your mind as a student and every uh, different student everyone is an iit aspirant and for two years you are almost studying like 10 12 hours or 14 hours in a single day uh, so you aspire that the college will be very transformational uh, and uh, it, it will be very enriching experience and all those which is obviously true uh, but uh, eventually the first impression of it is not that way uh like when you <laughs> enter the college uh you see the at least from an infrastructure perspective you assume the college because you have seen those type of colleges in movies and in other uh, <laughs> <laughs> other episodes so that uh, imagination which you have uh, while entering uh that doesn't uh, like that doesn't match with uh, what exactly uh, is uh, out there uh, so definitely uh, in in the first go you don't get a very good impression after entering iit that uh, but here i think uh, but the curriculum of iit has been designed in such a manner uh, that it it's not only focused on studies i think because you have cleared you have uh, gone into iit it essentially is uh, valid enough proof that you had those skills uh, to come into it and then you are competing within the top 1% of the entire country like you already had to be in top 1% to reach there and within iit now if you have to compete there you will have to be best among them uh and best not only on st- uh, studies front um, on multiple fronts like here there was weightage given to almost every extracurricular activities whether it's debating whether it's sports uh whether it's actually going out uh, uh to uh, in in some uh, competitions like uh, there there are multiple quizzing competitions there is multiple uh, drama activities which happen so a lot of weightage was given to extra curricular sports apart from the studies and it was a balance which everyone strived for and multiple uh, uh, clubs and also a lot of elections i would say i was involved a lot of a lot of elections as well in the college days uh, so a lot of elections which obviously open a new perspective to look at things uh, from multiple arenas and there also you have to be thinking uh, you have to be a uh, best uh, from the entire ecosystem uh, if you have to actually compete there uh so the, definitely i i would say that uh, the four years at iit it was enriching for me in a way that it taught me a lot of leadership skills 
lot of leadership skill i was a very uh, shy kid in 12th uh, i usually used to speak with uh, outsiders or any people uh, who might i didn't know uh, but after that it was uh, primarily that i uh, gained that perspective that you have to interact with new people you have to learn new ideas and it opens up a new perspective whenever you talk to any new people uh, and you should be obviously be, uh, uh, inclined towards uh, gaining new ideas and that learning curve should never stop you should never assume in your lifetime that you know everything and uh, like even even there is a superiority complex multiple times that uh, i am from iit so i will obviously have greater knowledge than any other local college student but that is also not true that is also not true you should uh, never show that and we have seen that multiple times uh, anyone can teach us uh, and you should be open to learning new things than being uh, adamant on what you already know uh, so i think that entire process uh, got evolved and the entire leadership capabilities i got involved with entrepreneurship cell like i was heading the entrepreneurship cell of iit delhi for uh, one and a half years uh there we met all the founders i met uh, snapdeal's founder and who ultimately also ended up being the first investors in my venture uh that was the first thing we invited them and there it opened all new perspective in terms of how we can also run uh, businesses uh, being from a technology background it is not very much obvious that how can any student or anyone from iits uh directly go and venture into a business ecosystem do a startup where where you don't have any business expertise like you primarily are being taught all the technical subjects there are no business subjects as such so t- tell me something like uh, after your uh, uh, after finishing iit you like kind of left the technical line and went into investment banking so why did you not look at uh, you know doing something which is like a part of your core educational background uh that's a very actually a very interesting question and i come up with this uh, a lot of times i am asked this question uh so i was uh, i did my engineering in uh, like the major was in engineering physics uh it is it is a very new branch and it is only there in selective iits it's there in iit bombay it's in iit delhi and there iit guwahati so it's only there in 4 to 5 where primarily the focus is uh on the basic concept of physics plus the engineering angle uh there like majority of people who end up doing their bachelors in engineering physics uh go to study for the ms or or higher studies in terms of phd uh to actually gain that expertise because in uh, our curriculum at iit we were given a very holistic overview uh we didn't went deep in any particular subject like we started quantum electronics we started co- uh, like physical mechanics we started the entire gravitational forces but it was purely an overview which was given so now we were essentially knowing everything uh from an outsider's perspective there was no in depth knowledge we get it was not like a job focused kind of a specialization like a lot of specializations are very job focused uh, this right, was not the right. case here so this was not very job focused it was very analytical there was computational physics there were so many courses on mathematics it was primarily improving your analytical capabilities which are which are leveraged across the ecosystem in the uh, banking roles like in investment banking it is purely a number maths which uh, you have to do uh, so essentially engineering physics didn't have any core companies coming to the campus so what people you should what people you should joke around uh, blackrock is a core engineering physics job uh, <laughs> deutsche bank uh, like they have inclination towards people from physics 
so all these investment banking companies, Goldman Sachs, who came to the campus, they had inclination towards hiring physics coaches, and that was quite evident because they knew that they have studied and gone through a rigorous uh, analytical uh, session in their four years. Uh, so and what is they require also? They also require people with good good analytical capabilities. So hence, uh, these companies like BlackRock, Deutsche, Goldman Sachs, everything were called the core companies of physics. Yeah. So you spent just a year in uh, Deutsche Bank. Uh, was it because it was in Mumbai and you didn't want to be there, or you know what was the reason? Uh, so uh, Deutsche, that was altogether a very new experience. Like we straight away from a college into a proper corporate culture, and that too in an investment role. I had not studied anything from an investment standpoint. uh but that was a great learning curve as in a great learning curve when i say i also took up my certifications like cfa uh alongside job so as to get more deeper insights into the finance ecosystem uh there and i could see the correlation between what i have been studying and what the application is there in terms of uh like doing it uh, while uh, doing the job uh so that was a great learning experience but after even after one year i could see that i am almost doing the same thing uh, day in and day out uh, that the learning curve has flattened and that was quite evident for me since last 2 3 months i was just figuring out that i am following the same routine doing the same stuff nothing new uh, i have studied i obviously got a very good understanding in the first 6 months 7 months i am now complementing that understanding with doing these certifications uh, so i am learning a lot of new things while studying cfa but from a job standpoint it is pretty limited in its scope uh, or i have to spend at least 3 4 years more to switch to something else within the company uh, and I, but i'll have to spend at least 3 4 years but in the, these uh, in the young times i think 3 4 years is a lot it's actually a lot uh doiche was on the sell side i used to under like uh, look at different folks that buy side is more attractive you get to uh, like see different portfolios and buy side is much more attractive than the sell side uh so i was like okay let's try that also let's try the buy side of the things and not the sell side maybe sell side is completely giving me a different picture of the investment banking world maybe buy side is something different uh and and at that point in so for for our listeners who don't understand the investment banking jargons of buy side and sell side can you like you know demystify that right right so essentially there are two things in any uh, banking ecosystem in investment banking particularly one are the buy side firms one are the sell side firms uh, so buy side firms generally buy different stocks buy different uh, like take different positions in different uh, portfolios that suppose like uh, to give an example any mutual fund is a generally a buy side uh, player they take bets so basically like people who are either doing wealth management or right. like family office right family office who are just investing in different uh, portfolios who are buying different things and managing the wealth on others behalf uh sell side is just a typical bank which is essentially managing that supply demand that i want this they'll manage it somehow and they'll suppose i want a stock of a particular company i it is uh, uh, not listed it's a it's a private placement so they will arrange their those stocks from someone and sell it to Uh, the people who are buying it, and they are taking a basically sell side is people who facilitate the transaction. Facilitate the transaction, yes. In in layman terms, they are facilitating the transactions. They are just bridging the gap between the suppliers and the uh, like supply and the demand, and they are taking a cut on it. Like it is a purely a uh, commission on the transaction. So they are not assuming any risk themselves. All the banks they are on the sell side. They cannot assume risk. They are just 
making the ends meet hmm. and in blackrock what uh, part of like you know they have so many different uh, investments so, so like which part were you in and you know what was your mandate there like what kind of uh, investments were you looking at yes so uh, there uh, i was part of the portfolio analytics team where essentially we used to uh, look at the portfolio positions as in that suppose we have bought 10 stocks uh, then how the portfolio is performing in terms of the risk profile uh, and uh, to manage their uh, i think it will not uh, so there was a sharp ratio sharp ratio is nothing but uh, a ratio of what your return you are getting versus the risk you have assumed uh, so here we used to closely monitor how the portfolio is performing what are the different return profiles risk profiles uh, how to change the positions in terms of uh, which stock to sell which to buy at what point in time uh, it was primarily that but i also got an exposure at that point in time there were multiple distressed portfolios so what is distressed portfolio anything which is essentially uh, like uh, like a distressed portfolio i would say that any loan which has gone bad as in that i bought a Uh, uh, a bond a bond is also a debt instrument so uh, just to explain what a bond is like suppose i am giving anyone a loan i have given 100 rupee loan to anyone now i am i'll be getting interest uh now if that guy defaults it will turn into a bad loan which essentially like i i you know i paid him 100 rupees i was expecting interest in return but that guy defaulted so even my principal has gone but now there will be someone else like there will be a person b who will come to me that he'll say that you give you i'll buy that loan i'll give you 50 rupees 50% of that 100 rupees but you will get 50% of your principal but you transfer the loan to me i'll recover from that guy myself so now this becomes a distressed loan that which i sold it at uh, uh, 50% haircut to someone else because i myself uh, uh, earlier thought it was an investment so th- it was a typical debt debt investment which i did basically you cut your losses uh, and matlab uske jitne mein bik gaya bech do types exactly exactly whatever haircut i can get and now it is the mandate of that guy to actually recover from him and i have just booked 50 rupees loss and i have got 50 rupees at least it's better than 100 rupees loss so blackrock does this here distressed buying they, they buy distressed assets yes 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 they are into distressed portfolios also uh so they buy distressed assets and then figuring out the price point uh, also they buy distressed assets as in that they figure out the price point as i mentioned that i had 100 rupees portfolio and someone bought it for 50 rupees what is the actual price point we need to buy that portfolio at like that analytics was done by us that suppose someone had a 100 someone had a, like let's say 100 100 rupees bad loan portfolio what is the actual price i should buy it at like what the amount i can extract suppose i am buying that 100 rupees portfolio 10 rupees and if i have to make anything out of it i should at least be able to collect more than 10 rupees from the uh, actual borrower so so there for the unit economics to make sense i we used to calculate that what is the actual price so that it is a win win for both of us win win for the person who is actually selling the distressed portfolio and also as a company uh, we should be able to tell that this you is make profit yes so it is a win win for both so how to do that pricing so some of our arcs who are the asset reconstruction companies their typical job is to buy these uh, distressed portfolios uh, so they you also used to use the blackrock platform to do all those analytics and how do you uh, calculate the probability that you know that uh, i will get like say i will recover 55 rupees so i can pay 50 rupees for this so how do you calculate that okay, what is the likely recovery 
it's a it's a purely a very intense data science models behind it as in we refer to the previous data as only data points only uh, like uh, in the similar type of portfolio in the past basis demographics of the borrower basics financials of the borrower how that collections has happened like what is the chance that it will get collected so there are purely data science models which run if we have the data we'll be able to make a good estimate on the pricing if we don't obviously then it is a mere uh, like shot in the dark uh, but essentially everything when it comes to the numbers and since these numbers uh, are in uh, it's, it's a sizable numbers as in that there's a 100 million dollar portfolio being bought or a or a billion dollar portfolio being bought so hence these numbers are big uh, so so a lot of data science is involved while actually going ahead with buying those portfolios okay okay and because blackrock had that data that's why even arcs would be coming to blackrock for this exactly exactly so they used to charge for their analytical platform that we you just use our platform you pay us a software fee uh so essentially we uh, they themselves had an investing arm so blackrock had two businesses one was blackrock solutions one was blackrock technology so blackrock technology used to onboard these companies to do it uh, enabling them to do it and uh, there was a, a division of uh, their own investment arm which used to do use the blackrock platform to do it on their own as well so there was a very big chinese wall in between uh, as in that they both cannot interact because otherwise uh, obviously there is a big conflict of interest right 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 okay okay and this would be what kind of distress asset like business loans or consumer loans or what like or all types everything real estate including real estate used cars uh, uh bad debts as in mortgage loans uh unsecured loans uh, business loans and these were primarily in the us and the uk markets uh, so what we used to study it was primarily in the us and the uk markets okay got it got it so how did this uh, lead to credgenix you tell me about the birth of that idea how, how was the idea born right 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 uh, so there the npa i think that at that point in time was a buzzword everyone was reading about npas everyone was reading about how the economy is not performing well uh, the numbers are rising loan bad loans are increasing uh, so the problem statement was quite evident and even the ercs were also in business i think they used to buy these distressed portfolios at very cheap price 1% of their portfolio value uh so there essentially in 2019 like i spent some years one and a half more than uh, one and a half years actually one year eight months uh, to 10 months in blackrock uh there while i was venturing there we could see in india a lot of fintechs my colleagues starting up in the lending ecosystem trying to bridge that gap which is quite evident as in banks are not able to give loans in tier 2 tier 3 remote geographies because they didn't have any data points to underwrite uh no civil score nothing uh, very limited accessibility so the banks were not underwriting and giving loans to a lot of these people because of the risk profiles uh so a lot of these fintechs started solving the underwriting part of the puzzle as in giving them additional data points uh to underwrite using alternate data making the process more seamless providing a digital interface uh for anyone to actually come and take loans with a click of a button with removing all those hassle of visiting doing digital kyc uh so a lot of a lot of fintechs were entering that area uh but the collections essentially it is very easy to give out money and it is very difficult to take it back with interest so if you see lending uh, is purely a collections business uh hence we could see that a lot of intervention is there on the first part 
but the letter which is essentially the collections is still a very age old playbook no technological intervention no prioritization of accounts how to get the money uh who, who, who uh, like whom to target with what strategy with what communication how to go about the entire part uh, it was purely a manual job which was being done across the ecosystem whether it's a bank or a new age fintech or a old school nbfc like every everyone was following uh, the same criteria uh hence we could see that now there's a lot of people entering the first part and solving the first part of the puzzle let's let's address the second part and that also i had some exposure from the blacklock days as in that i obviously priced portfolios on the district site knew how the pricing actually happens how it is bought and what are the juice so we could essentially see that in this collections business if you are able to demonstrate that you are aiding any lender in uh, uh, improving their collections rate as in giving them a delta over their existing money uh, you can easily charge that you can easily charge them 20 25% of the extra value you are adding so if suppose someone was collecting maybe one cr out of their bad loans portfolio after us if they are able to extract 1.5 crore now for them it is a 50 lakh extra collection and if you are charging them 20 lakhs we can take 15 lakhs they will be more than happy to pay us because for them it was essentially lost money which we have found so it's a win win creating a win win and the return on investment what we call roi is clear in this business hmm, 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 hmm. so okay so this is on paper it sounds good but then you know there are uh, many like like there's a journey of evolution from a on paper good idea to executing it like for example did you decide to take an upfront saas based uh, payment or did you decide to take a payment uh, the way you explained just now that whatever extra we help you collect we take a percentage of it like you know how, from on paper to the evolution of execution tell me about that journey uh yes yes i think that also is uh it's something you learn uh, over the course of your journey uh in the first i think pricing is something which you really struggle with uh and in the initial start it was essentially not even pricing it was essentially how to do this how to solve this problem how to create that extra value add so that was a bigger question uh that what should the platform look like uh so to do that what essentially we did earlier we did we uh, started working with very smaller fintechs and who were just coming up in 2019 uh through some of our so references this, uh, like like you uh, uh, exit from blackrock uh, how did that happen like when did you decide okay i have to quit blackrock and do this full time uh so this happened in uh, 2018 december uh essentially i think at blackrock also we were studying all these things and at that point in time i could see that i have now tried my sell side i have tried the buy side everything is good Uh, but when i see myself 10 years down the line can i imagine to be one of the vps who are sitting there uh, 38 years of age or 40 years of age doing the same thing over and over again like is it exciting enough or is it worth spending so much time here uh, i think that that call was very clear i have now explored the buy side i've explored the sell side it is something that i'll keep on switching i'll never get satisfaction and it is very important question you have to address now whether you want to be a very small part of a very big uh, ecosystem or a very big part of a very small organization and how did you meet your co-founders like uh... yeah uh, so yeah that was uh, during the blackrock days only so i was obviously on a hunt to figure out a team uh, who will be the best fit uh so anand uh, who is uh, my co-founder handling the tech part 
uh, he's my batchmate from IIT Delhi. Uh, he he uh, is a computer science grad and he was working uh, with one MG since the college after the college. So one MG is also a healthcare startup and uh, is solving the online medicine delivery problem. And there also uh, the tech development started in 2014-15 when we were in college. So he was associated with them since those days. Like he was working with them since 2014-15 and uh, took that journey. So essentially, uh, the for from my perspective, I knew that someone who has done that from a tech perspective and who is working with a startup, have the experience, will be the best here to lead the tech side. Uh, so that was very evident. It was primarily uh, uh, discussing it with him and also then uh, discussing the potential ideas and then coming up together as a team. So we are three co-founders and third one is Mayank who is a lawyer and who comes from this side. Uh, not core collections but essentially uh, uh, representing different uh, governmental institutions uh, before DRT, before uh, debt redressing tribunals, uh, helping different uh, uh, lenders in terms of actual core collections. So he brought in that legal expertise along with the collections part uh, to address that problem. Uh, so it was primarily we had a clear visibility around the roles and responsibilities. I was I was myself uh, to brainstorm on entire uh, sales, like to bring every client on board, uh, get uh, handle the uh, like the expectations part, and then uh, discuss the, any investment potential opportunities. So I uh, took under uh, like my bucket uh, the entire sales, uh, business development, uh, investment. And other parts where clear mandate of Anand was to scale the product, build it uh, from an engineering standpoint, also the product role. And Mayank was on the operations side and actually assisting also the tech development as in by his inputs uh, in terms of how it should be done. How did you figure out the technology solution? Like, uh, you know, how did you figure out that to improve efficiency? Yes, yes. I think that was also uh, something which we understood after we took up actually the collections mandate. So as I mentioned that after quitting, what we did, we started working with smaller fintechs to solve the collections puzzle. Ke, ke, you are also essentially figuring out things, right? You are solving the underwriting part. You can outsource the collections to us. We'll brainstorm it for you. Uh, we'll figure out how it gets done. We'll uh, also all, you obviously have inputs, but you essentially can get it done through us. So we actually took collections mandate that we'll get it collected. Uh, not there was no software platform then we understood the process we did the same process over excel uh, we uh, engaged different lawyers we engaged different collection agencies on ground to actually do that collections part take that mandate the entire dealing part was being done by us and for the upcoming fintechs that reduced their workload that they didn't have to deal with the collection agencies it was primarily we who were who were on their behalf uh, doing all those collections and trying to do it uh, understanding learning and uh, figuring out how those collection agencies work, how the typical debt collection process happens. Then understood, did some surveys, uh, took a look at all the new upcoming fintechs, how are they addressing collections. Uh, they then took up some collections mandate in an established fintech to uh, actually on a percentage resolution basis so that they will set their expectations right on right up front, like they will be straight in our face if you're not performing. Uh, then we did that activities for six, seven months. We got enough data points. We understood the entire process in and out. And there we started building the product in July 2019. That was a starting point. We started building the product after the brainstorming in July 2019. That was a start. We started brainstorming on what product should be built. 
and when did you raise your uh, angel like you i think you did a angel round first no before the current uh... yes 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 right so in july 2019 we started even uh, working on the platform development uh in two months we came up with a very small mvp with some wireframes some designing aspect uh at that point in time it was primarily we engaged certain developers we invested our own capital we invested roughly 20 25 lakhs of our capital uh in the initial 6 7 months and 8 months uh hired some folks in turns uh after that point in time it somewhat appeared that at least i should try because because of my uh, entrepreneurship club network i knew a lot of people uh and i just tried let's explore this ecosystem because if you are able to at least get maybe 1.5 to 2 cr we'll get sufficient bandwidth to hire certain folks get this uh, product rolled out and establish a product market fit uh whether to figure out its need or not so at that point in time after two months only uh, i interacted with kunal uh, i started i wrote him a mail and uh, uh, got connected with him and uh, since we had some a lot of common network it was not very difficult for me to reach out to him uh i reached out to him uh, he candidly called us in uh, his office uh, both rohit and kunal uh there was a one hour discussion which happened with rohit he was understanding what we are doing how what how exactly we plan to address it uh and stuff so it was a one hour conversation with him uh and there after that one hour conversation he mentioned ki kunal also will speak to you and uh wants to speak to you regarding your idea because it sounded interesting to us so we have uh like uh, scheduled the conversation one after the other and we want to like uh, get you uh, uh, like uh, understand the entire process so kunal uh, then came in as soon as rohit left kunal came in uh and he his his meeting was scheduled his call was uh, like meeting in it was an in person meeting it was not the covid era uh so his in person meeting was scheduled for one hour but in, it went on for one and a half hours he kept on getting calls ke aapko sir meeting mein aana hai you should come here there was some someone in some other guy in person who came ke you are called in other meeting he mentioned ke please postpone it i'll come after half an hour later uh i i am just he was also so much engaged in the discussion uh and we used it was essentially like we didn't uh, like uh, obviously it was very difficult for us to uh, figure out that time has gone and it is already one and a half hours uh, since we are in this discussion room uh there it was a very very candid discussion that what challenges we are facing how we came up with this idea what we are doing what are the plans how to price a lot of we were early for a lot of answers and we were very upfront about it that you are asking me this question i don't know actually i don't know <laughs> i'll figure it out i'll figure it out uh but i'll 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 tell you what we know but whatever we actually don't know uh, we'll be very upfront and categorically mentioning that uh, we'll figure that out but it is a very good question we have taken note of it and we'll figure that out obviously you are speaking from a so many years of experience uh, so whatever you are telling us is something which we learn but essentially it's code that you have told us now we'll be very careful Uh, in uh, addressing this question uh, so there are a lot of things a uh, lot of questions uh, went answered well were not answered and at the end of the conversation he uh, mentioned see uh, leave aside everything uh, abhi kitna paisa chahiye how much amount do you want because i think uh, it is worth spending your time on since you all have left your uh, high coveted jobs uh, i i i feel now it is a good idea to actually spend time on so i am definitely with you on that uh now uh, let me know what you are thinking around uh, how much what money you require etc etc uh then it was very simple conversation uh, we mentioned in that this is the very clear one year uh, like it's it's a one year runway we are looking for 
and this is how the calculation looks like this is how much we require uh then he mentioned okay let's let's do it and uh, i'll i'll uh, give you my offer uh, tomorrow after discussion with rohit and the next day in the morning i think the offer came and it got closed into 2 to 3 days wow and how much did you raise in that angel round uh so it was not only kunal we brought in some relevant people from the different industries uh, through the same network uh so it was led by kunal and rohit uh, so it was almost a 2 cr fundraise it was a 2 crore raise uh where 1 crore was by rohit and kunal and the remaining 1 crore was by other angel investors who were had some uh, name in the fintech industry or the software industry saas industry kunal sha also came in at that in that round only a kunal sha came later kunal sha came later Achha. okay 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 hmm. yeah okay so uh, it was actually the first believers were kunal behel and rohit yeah. mm-hmm. got it okay Okay, so from that uh, period, uh, how did the journey evolve after that? Like once the funds came in, then how did the trajectory change? And you know, tell me about the post the angel funding. Ah uh, yes, so angel it actually gave us now it it was an actual company uh, right after that we were able to hire people. Ah, uh, we took up an office space because before that. Uh, I used to live in Gurgaon, like while I was uh, doing a job, and our uh, entire ground floor was converted into the office. Uh, so we were used to living at first floor, and the entire ground floor was converted into an office space. Uh, so there was no proper office space before that race. Uh, then, then we took up an office space. We hired people. We started code development of the product. Uh, we started and we built a first version of the product in January 2020, uh, like in the four months. but it was very basic product though it was a very basic crm type of product uh, but we launched the first version in january 2020 uh, using that capital we got we hired some core uh, developers we hired some uh, interns and it was a full fledged office we used to go it establish a routine that instead of just switching from first floor to ground floor <laughs> now we are actually essentially going to a office and doing that thing uh, in january 2020 we launched the same clients we where we took up collection mandates the smaller fintechs We essentially rolled this product out for free to them. कि आप test करो, आप बताओ क्या है इसमें, what exactly is required, what is not required, what is good, what is bad. They were the first adopters. It was a very clear uh, uh, indicator that they will be the first adopters and they will give us a very good relevant input. So there is no point charging them uh, for that because otherwise that then it will not be impacting our uh, adoption rate. Uh, so those were the same fintechs we worked with in the initial six months to uh, uh, enable collections. to also help onboard on the platform and uh, then give their input so in the first 3 months we were working with those fintechs only and then this covid scenario happened which was out of the blue like no one had anticipated that this thing will happen hmm. so uh, one question i have here uh, before the covid so essentially the first platform would have been like you understood ke collections mein kya workflows hain and then you build a platform to digitize the workflows so that everyone knows ke kisko kya karna hai next and everyone has visibility through dashboards and analytics like, like that would have been what you built right 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 that was something which we uh, uh, actually built that just to give a visibility around uh, it is it's purely a visibility around different teams how the different teams have been working and giving them a seamless information flow which was essentially missing like there are multiple teams involved in collection there's a calling team there is a communications team there is a legal team there is a field team and everyone was operating in their own silos they were up, like it was they were all up following the same cases uh, without any feedback loop 
and there was no priority order no priority order whom to target first whether it should it should only be the calling team who should uh, who should follow up on that cases whether this is a very easy to collect case where essentially i don't even need to involve any manual resources uh, eventually even the communications will work best <laughs> and you would have automated the the communication also like sms and uh, sms are... email right 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 we did this this automation but th- that also happened in phases like initially we just gave them a crm it's a collections management platform kya clone upload kar do you can trigger manually smss emails you can get a visibility but this automation pieces came in later so the first version had only a simple plain crm tool functionality uh, where you can trigger smss you can trigger emails you can do calling uh, you can see how the legal is performing but it was a purely a uh uh like it's a management tool no intelligence tool yeah so got a lot of inputs during that phase and uh then i think for 3 months we saw that there are six fintechs who are using it now and they are uh, using it very well as in that their uh, uh time spent on platform was on a higher side so we essentially knew that they are using it uh uh after that after that uh phase uh the covid thing happened Uh, which was out of the blue we were not sure how to react to this like we were completely clueless how to react to this whether it will be a good thing for us or a bad thing for us uh we were not sure uh but essentially we shut down the office uh we made it work from home and after that eventually in 4 days time rbi came up that we are implementing moratorium uh which essentially meant that any collection activity will not happen for the first next 3 months who want who wants to pay will pay who wants to pay will pay there will be no collections as such communications which will be sent now upfront we took ke chalo ab hamara to matlab it is essentially that we are out of business for next 3 months uh there there is no utility of the platform uh, as of now like we essentially not be able to sell it to anyone uh so we thought that but we essentially also figured out that uh, this problem will become severe after this uh the this bad loans problem will become very severe after this the reason being that 3 months is a good enough time for people to forget about their emi payments uh and also the job scenario and other things are not looking in a good shape so the collections will become a much bigger problem after the pandemic and there it might increase our adoption rate might there was a big might obviously uh, in front of that uh that might increase but as of now it is a zero revenue phase for us going forward for the three months but we also felt now we have enough inputs to work upon like our product team will work upon all the inputs and meanwhile our sales team operations were zero our sales team and uh, like uh, uh, me alongside others will purely focus on how to uh, devise a strategy to reach out to the relevant stakeholders in the banking ecosystem in the different nbfcs will trigger some emails cold emails uh will trigger will do a properly a campaign activity essentially to just let people know that we are there once the moratorium is lifted people should get to know at least we exist like just to pro- showcase that existence we started working on some pr stuff uh, r- writing down articles on median uh, on quora and uh, doing all those things which to just get some uh, popularity in the market so that people are essentially aware about us and meanwhile the product was at core focus uh yeah in may uh, in may uh, we could see that we got a lot of attraction there was so much response on our cold emails like there was 8% revert back rate on our cold emails out of every 100 mails shooted out eight people replied to that mm-hmm. and these were all like either banking collection managers or fintech collection people 
fintech fintech yes fintech uh, guys uh, like uh, these guys from the lending nbfcs uh, mostly mostly those guys like it was primarily fintech lenders uh, risk heads founders uh, banks obviously don't reply to cold emails <laughs> so bank bank is something it's it's a completely different uh, ball park game to crack them do, do you also target collection agencies like there are these uh, on ground agencies uh, does your software like do you also sell to yeah. them it is it is a use case for them but uh, essentially uh, uh, like it's sophisticated enough as of now i think to uh, onboard them and that market is very fragmented for us to even drive any unit economics out of them so we have not focused as of now to sell to any collection agencies because of the even the paying capacity we know and even the appreciation of the platform how to use it we could see that will be very less uh, in that sector so we targeted the lenders fintechs and bfcs uh during that phase and we could see a good response inbound response to our emails uh, to our cold emails uh and there uh, essentially we started uh, showcasing the demos like it was purely zoom demos which were conducted uh and there lot of got a lot of inputs isko aise kar do you can do this you can add this this is a pain point uh everyone give the inputs because essentially now everyone there was a clear mandate to scale up their tech infrastructure to handle those volume collections earlier it was a good to have product it was not in the must have category it was good to have because they were essentially managing it uh during that time the new disbursement was stopped there was no new lending which was going on because of the market scenario now there is a clear mandate that once the moratorium is lifted uh, there will be huge collections problem so all the sales people were moved to collections everyone in the sales team was moved to collections ha yeah, ha yeah. they needed the infrastructure to manage so many people it was just a temporary way to handle because you can increase the number of people that will essentially help you scale the collections uh, but that is also not a scalable manner to do it it was just a temporary way around uh so in may we were expecting that uh, now the moratorium will be lifted it got again extended by 6 months 3 months that came as a shocker to us as well because now we had to sustain uh we had to sustain because essentially it meant another 3 months zero revenue then did you have runway we had one year runway we had one year runway we had uh, one year runway and we uh, managed to uh, like uh, get that runway going uh because we essentially also knew that it is a very unpredictable situation and even kunal was very useful and uh, guided us that you should be in a position to deliver the product after this is over so you should uh, like save as much as you can at this point in time you should not be spending anything extra apart from what you need uh because it should not be a scenario that once this problem is over and the your collection product is required by the market you don't have bandwidth to build it and you don't have uh, funds to do that uh so there uh, and obviously the funding scenario was also not good like there was no funds being no, no investor funding anything uh it was such an unpredictable situation and uh, it was a purely funding was right uh so eventually look even to understand that we, uh, like even to go out and look for funding was something which we were not doing because we knew that this is something which is uh, not doable but interestingly what happened uh, for the investors as well the entire hospitality space travel space everything which was badly impacted by covid were not of interest they didn't have uh, the leverage to park their money or invest in those sectors 
so 70% of the sectors where investor used to uh, invest uh, were uh, gone bad due to covid now it was essentially only 30% of sectors which were neutral or which got positively impacted by covid which might be uh, healthcare which might be edtech which might be zooming platforms like zoom uh, any fintech who is uh, there in terms of uh, essentially engaging the payments so there were some sectors particularly which got positively impacted and ours was also the one which seemingly looked like will get positively impacted after the moratorium is over uh, because the collections will become much bigger problem there though it appeared that once this problem is actually uh, uh, come over there, there then the, uh, the our platform will be of very good utility uh, so we were also focusing on that marketing and all those activities so uh, by a matter of chance our one article got picked by our story uh purely organically it got picked by our story that how we are essentially targeting to aiming to help uh, nbfc lenders to uh, get the collections done etc etc so what, what do you mean your article got picked like did you send it to your story or did you publish it on a quora and they uh, it was published on a medium it was published on medium it was uh, shared through our linkedin channels it was shared through my personal linkedin uh, so it got picked up from there so it got picked up from there and it got published and there we saw a lot of inbound interest from a lot of investors they started reaching out sequoia excel lightspeed everyone started reaching out to understand what we are doing how to how we are doing this a background etc etc uh, so everything started in on june 17th i even remember the date uh, when i we got the first ping uh, that was june 17 i got the first message and then it was a series of these messages which came in uh, on my linkedin to understand uh then in june june 17 had first interaction on june 29th we got our uh, term sheet from axel from sequoia from uh every uh, like three funds wow okay so why did you choose axel i think you you didn't go with sequoia right Or... yes 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 yeah i think that is also <laughs> something which uh, was a tough choice to make but uh axel at that point in time we felt that axel will be potentially a good fit because of their saas expertise uh sequoia came in with the financial services expertise uh but it was essentially they do a lot of background checks on us also before investing uh, after the offers we did some background checks on them also okay. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> with with multiple founders where both of them are investors Uh, so there we felt maybe from our particular use case sequoia is also a very good fund but uh, from our use case uh, excel might be better uh, and also excel's excel was the first mover as in they were the first one to extend an offer uh, so there was definitely some soft corner for that as well so so essentially we went ahead with excel during that race hmm. okay okay So uh, then, tell me what happened after the moratorium got lifted. Yes, yes, I think uh, so. Excel was very helpful after the even uh, like in that phase. Uh, like they invested in July to they signed the term sheet. It took two months DD also, which happens, and then we got the funds in around September at the time when the moratorium was getting lifted. How much did they invest? Uh, they invest uh, invested three uh, million and. Uh, uh but the overall round was a 3 and 1/2 so rest 500k dollars were invested from other angels uh some uh, funds like dmi they have an alternate fund so there were some strategic angels like kunal also invested during that round only 
like kunal cha was that inbound or like you like reached out to him uh, so or so to them it was primarily i think whenever a, a round gets uh, completed by any uh, typical venture capital firm uh, they def- in, in their own circle they also f- uh, circulate that so they circulate that whoever is interested they directly reach out to the founders and th- then we obviously had a list that who will be helpful for us and who will not uh, from a strategic point of view we had options of around 25 to 30 people whom we thought will be strategic and then out of that we uh, like uh, took money from 8 or 10 people so kunal sha uh, also was strategic in a way that their main business model was turning out to be lending they planned to venture into the lending where collections was also something where they wanted to invest and hence instead of developing their own capabilities spending so much time uh, doing the same thing which we have done they essentially thought it is best to partner and also kunal sha at that point in time was uh, very candid in saying that you test out any new product line on us you have enough leg room for uh, you to try out any tech piece you want to do uh, and also we'll give our inputs in terms of how to build it for a credit card company so from an investment standpoint from a business standpoint from a strategic standpoint it was a win win for everyone so we got him on board uh, it was a so after the moratorium i think so the exactly the exciting journey started after the moratorium uh there this problem as we were expecting it exploded it was a huge explosion in terms of the problem which happened uh so there uh, uh, we saw so much uh, demand in terms of the platform that uh, we essentially were not even able to cater to um, some of the request so we had to stop outbound sales for some time uh, we had to stop outbound sales for some time uh it was only inside sales it was only the people who were reaching out to us uh, we were entertaining them uh, and the banks whom we were reaching out before covid started reaching out to us that we want this uh, look, we want to have a look at the platform demo etc etc although with any bank it is at least 20 meetings you have to do with different stakeholders different people convincing everyone doing their security audits to get a final nod then the pricing they are very hard negotiators uh pricing everything you have to do get it done but the banks were the toughest uh but we, even before the banks uh, all these mbfcs uh, new age mbfcs like udan loan tap money tap money view n number of fintechs which are there uh, all these got onboarded and uh, uh, we went on from almost zero revenue the revenue was zero for six months we went on from zero revenue uh to uh, almost doing 1.4 cr a month in january wow amazing okay and that too without uh, even multi banks going live it was only one bank which went live uh, during that time uh so even without banks going live we were able to uh, go to that revenue scale uh and there also in january we reported a profit in a bit of around uh, 42% a uh, net profit after taxes for that month uh so so during that time it became clear that uh, there's a clear path towards uh, getting live with everyone and uh, uh, like getting this rolling and we have enough capital in the bank to roll it out uh, to the indian ecosystem but in that january month only we started getting some uh, queries from uh, across india like across different borders uh, like there was a co- query from uh, 
Indonesia bank. There was a query from a bank based out of Vietnam, uh, Southeast Asian countries to understand what we are doing, how we are doing it, uh, getting the processes. So we figured out that this problem statement is common across the developing economies. Collections is a much bigger problem in other Southeast Asian countries because they don't even have an e-NASH or an e-mandate system. To explain what e-NASH e-mandate is, it's an auto-debit that you automatically, uh, your uh, amount gets debited without even your consent, you get a sign in e-NASH. So a lot of the collections problem in India got solved because automatically the payment gets debited if your money is there in the account. That e-NASH e-mandate is not there in other countries, so collections is a much bigger problem there. So now, now our focus was to get going very aggressive uh, since we knew that this market will be very hot for the next two years and we have to capture as much as we can. There we started receiving a lot of inbound interest from the same funds we spoke to in the last time from new funds. Uh, even Sequoia again uh, reached out uh, to figure out whether there is an uh, investment potential there, opportunity there uh, as of now or not. So that was something that we were in a commanding position because we didn't require any funds. Uh, it was essentially and I also have heard that the best time to raise is when you are not raising and uh, with investors I have given you don't need it and with the investors also I figured out that uh, like they are very good uh, like if, if you ask for uh, money from them they will probably give you advice uh, if you ask for advice they are probably interested in giving you the money because on <laughs> and that is a very true fact because they 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 only uh, I think uh, try to invest when they see everything is going very well. Uh, as in that, whenever anyone used to interact with me, I used to say, "Yeah, uh, We are we are doing very well. We have reported net profit. We have a strong can, uh, client pipeline. We are good, uh, we have very aggressive plans. We'll reach this revenue run rate in such so much time span of time, and it's going very well for us. And then obviously they are also on lookout for such businesses." which are running very smoothly and there's a clear pathway and clear runway to do execute to different things. Uh, so essentially if they figure out that everything is going very smoothly and they don't require funds, uh, it's the best time to invest for them as well. Uh, so during that got a multiple interest, but uh, we were very clear that if we have to raise now, we'll, it will be at our terms. So we can ask for any valuation or any terms we want. Uh, if it happens, it happens. Otherwise, it is uh, uh, not going to happen. It's okay. It's fine either ways. Uh, so there we ended up uh, getting a very strategic investor on board. Uh, so that will be also made public in very soon. Uh, it has been covered although by some uh, channels. But yeah, so we onboarded Westbridge Capital. Uh, Westbridge is a very heavy investor in financial services domain. Uh, they are on cap table of almost 30-35 NBFCs and banks. Uh, deep investors in the financial ecosystem, in the lending ecosystem. Uh, they are also investors in civil. They are uh, on the cap table of Experian. Uh, multiple, uh, like they are on cap tables of multiple of these financial institutions. Uh, so there we could uh, see that from a uh, like synergy perspective, we could easily see that they'll be able to reduce our GTM as in go to market uh, in multiple of these NBFCs. And also they are very uh, good in terms of their track record as in they are managing six and a half billion dollar of fund in India. So, uh, the, so the fund as of now, the quantum is around uh, 23 to 24 million. Uh, and it is uh, at over uh, 100 million valuation. It is around 110. Wow. Amazing. 
so that's like phenomenal value creation in in like a matter of months uh, that that you have achieved mm. yeah Amazing. so we uh, raised at almost at 66 in the in 6 months so and we gave uh, exit to some of the investors uh, who were in the angel round invested hmm 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 okay okay amazing so uh, do you think uh, the see right now you are able to capture a large part of the margin because this is not a commodity software you know so you can tell a bank acha i am helping you recover 50 lakhs more so give me 20 lakhs out of that but eventually this could become commoditized na? as people see the opportunity and then you know more companies will pile on create similar tools and so w- what do you think will be your moat and you know how will you protect your margins uh it's a very interesting question it's a very good question i think i come across this question by every investor <laughs> uh, so uh here what we could see as of now also akshay uh, that uh, it's a val- valid question i think anyone can come up with it uh, but the data we are capturing we know at a pin code level how the collection is doing we keep on sending newsletters we have our models are built our data uh, ml models are built in a way to prioritize the accounts at what pin code you need to prioritize how the collection is going on for this particular type of borrower now any new portfolio we onboard we exactly know the uh, know the contours of that portfolio like suppose there's a two wheeler portfolio based out of rajasthan we'll essentially tell ke dekho rajasthan mein two wheeler portfolio ki performance across the uh, ecosystem sea so you should expect the similar numbers and this is the strategy is working best in this geography at this point in time at this pin code and this is how you should go about it so that data we are sitting on is the moat it is essentially that we are leveraging that data capabilities and anyone who comes in the market at this point in time uh, will have to build that data by themselves and there is no reason for any bank or any fintech to go to them uh, either like they have to be 10x better than us because as of now they have gone from a no software approach to a software any new software to replace us they have to be 10x better than us only selling it for lesser will not be uh, sufficient and uh, they cannot never compete us within the pricing like if any new even startup comes up it's a really a uh, chance that any they will be aggressively funded in the initial times so we will have enough capital to ultimately even if there is a pricing war we can do that but uh, that is should not be the scenario because it's essentially the value add it's not only a uh, commodity uh, pricing we are doing if we are able to drive those value add by a combination of our data by a combination of multiple things then it makes sense for them to do it mm-hmm. okay so how old are you rishabh uh akshay i am 26 so how does it feel at 26 you are probably worth at least you know like maybe 50 to 100 times more than what your parents would be worth and you know so how does it feel to be where you are today I think I never compare myself with my parents so because I think I'm everything is there because of them like uh, not to say that you will compare but I mean it's like uh, compared to any anyone in your social circle you would be worth 50 to 100 times uh, of anyone that you would have grown up with anyone you would have spent time with you know you would be worth more than 99% of them and you would be worth 50 to 100 times more so you know how, how does it feel being Rishabh Goyal today. That's what I want to know. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think, yeah, actually, uh, so there it obviously feels good in a way that essentially our uh, labor or hard work has paid 
so it essentially it's a, a journey of ups and downs where we also think that uh, there might be a scenario you'll have to shut down again go back to the same world uh, again do the same thing uh, but it is essentially here uh, like having found out that I don't actually uh, at this point in time I don't uh, feel tired at any point in time even on weekdays even on weekends we are working on Sundays we are working we are doing office stuff we are doing calls we are taking all the calls on Sundays and it also doesn't tire us which essentially means that uh, we are doing something and we can see a value add is being done and it's uh, some value creation we are doing so these monetary stuff is something which comes on its own uh, it is something which comes along but that is uh, not the core objective to get it done but ha- talking to everyone I think I uh, as of now also my social circle is same my everything is same uh, there's hardly there's not even an iota of a difference in what I used to be before uh, or as of now and I think humbleness is the key to eventually go there you have to just keep your heads down and execute uh, whenever you lose your touch with the ground reality whenever you actually lose that humbleness where the downfall starts uh, and that is something which uh, i have started i have seen across my uh, journey which i have seen that how eventually the downfall starts once you lose your ground touch and once you lose that humbleness okay my wealth has become this much etc etc and then i i need to improve my social circle etc so all these things uh, should not bother you you should be in the same and i think uh, what i can see my as my strength is i come from a middle class family so i don't have that luxurious uh, like uh, I don't have that uh, kind of aspirations that I have to go to this or I have to wear this type of clothes so I think that is our biggest strength also like I, we are never dependent on any luxurious lifestyle uh, so eventually I don't want also to go into that manner uh, it is essentially that is our biggest strength that we don't need like Ambani Adani they have to maintain their standard of living they have to actually go and <laughs> spend a lot uh, we don't we don't need to do it like that is our biggest strength we come from a middle class family and we don't need to do that things so how much of uh, the uh, success that credgetics and you have achieved do you attribute to luck how important was luck in it or yeah uh, definitely uh, luck is a very important factor also i cannot attribute a certain uh, percentage uh, it is a combination. It is as in a combination of your hard work. It is a combination of an opportunity, the tailwinds, the scenario, the luck. Eventually, everything, if it fits in the right spot, it is the right spot. Uh, any of the thing falls apart, you are done. So, you should not worry about the things which are not in your control, not your own hand. Like, even during the fundraise, it was primarily, I think, you were discussing that if something, there are obviously a lot of questions which bother us, but if they are not in our hands, we should not. Like, uh, just unnecessarily uh, worry about them. Like, you should do best what is within your control. Like, what is not in your control, you should just definitely leave it to, uh, if, if there is a supreme power, you leave it to them and see what exactly it happens. Uh, you should not worry about things which are not in your hand. So, I my op- always objective is to give my 100% and then leave it. Uh, then don't worry about it. Like, whatever is bound to happen will happen. Like, if that is something is not in our control, we should not worry about it. Somehow, I feel that here, luck was important in a way that uh, this COVID helped us a lot uh, because it increased the adoption of digitization. It is somewhat of a scenario which no one had anticipated. We were not sure whether it will impact us in a positive manner or negative manner. But it turned out to be helpful for us. It turned out to be helpful for us. Uh, like same thing happened for Paytm demonetization turned out to be a very big boom. Uh, so what we felt that uh, maybe our adoption of the platform was not at that scale if it would have been pre-COVID. 
So that was Rishabh's inspiring story of building up a $100 million SaaS company with nothing more than grit and hustle. And we hope it inspires you to find that niche and build your startup. If you like the Founder Thesis podcast, then do check out our other shows on subjects like marketing, technology, career advice, books, and drama. Visit thepodium.in, that is T-H-E-P-O-D-I-U-N. Dot in for a complete list of all our shows.